Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast. It is very much the morning after the night before. I'm joined by Daniel Chards at Sunday Chelsea. Daniel, how are we on this Sunday morning? I'm actually doing really well, but it's not because of Chelsea, obviously. There were things on my Saturday night that kind of saved the weekend for me that are not even football related. So I am feeling a lot better. It's kind of taking my attention away from that disaster. How are you? Yeah, I'm not bad. I was enjoying the international break. Uh, you know, it, it was nice. I I did not put myself through watching England in meaningless qualifiers, <laughs> uh, like a lot of people did. And then, you know, inevitably get wound up. And I was like, no, I've seen this drink before. I don't need to do this. It was a new Hunger Games film out. I will go watch that. It's like I'm back in the, that 2012 to 2017 period where dystopian films are just flying out there. Everyone's loving it. I had a great time with that. And then, yeah, Chelsea returned on, on Saturday and we will get into that. And that was not good. And like you, Daniel, I think my Saturday evening was trying to was trying to have a nice palate cleanse. And uh, I mean, I, I got I got I got that a little bit, I guess, with uh, Ridley Scott's Napoleon, albeit, you know, not not the most amazing film, but, you know, still fairly, fairly solid film. And obviously, I know, Daniel, I think people who follow you might know that you, your your joy came from uh, from Doctor Who. Uh, so so it's nice that we got to, you know, we got to turn around our Saturdays somewhat. Anyway, as I always do, guests, I get them to give themselves a plug. So, Daniel, tell people where they can find you and all your stuff. Yeah, just sign up Chelsea if you search that on your favorite podcast provider on YouTube, on Twitter, or whether you like to call it X, whatever it is, sign up Chelsea. That is where my content will be, whether it's audio, video, and social media as well. Lovely, lovely stuff. Right, Daniel, Chelsea returned after the international break, succumbed to a 4-1 loss to Newcastle. Um, I feel in the previous two games... There had been a lot of chaos against against Spurs and Manchester City, but I feel that that was the good kind of chaos, and we channeled it 
pretty well. Newcastle yesterday was chaotic and it was messy, like those previous two games. It was not channeled well, Daniel. I thought that was a complete, complete mess. And I mean, just quick thoughts before we really break into down. That second half is probably up. That'll be worth 45 minutes I've watched of Chelsea. There was just nothing good about it, nothing at all likable, and just a complete meltdown and capitulation. But, you know, we've kind of tended, you know, we've come used to watching Chelsea, you know, a number of times over recent seasons. Yeah, I guess that that's an interesting point in terms of that I hadn't kind of thought of that when you actually look at the the last three games, yeah, they have been very unique and very eventful. But then I, I guess it's always that thing, right? If you live in chaos, there's always that fear that you are going to fall victim to it eventually. And that's that's what it was for Chelsea at St. James's Park and especially a ground that Chelsea have fallen victim to chaos and and bad moments and 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 really poor results in I mean for most of my time supporting Chelsea so it's uh yeah I agree with you the the chaos part of it and the the lack of control that Chelsea had was was something to really be concerned by not only in the second half I think there were massive red flags in the first half that signaled that Chelsea really need to get their act together because Newcastle were getting far too many looks at, at Chelsea's goal yeah, indeed. Chelsea have lost 14 Premier League games at St. James's Park now, only suffering more defeats in the division at Arsenal and Liverpool with 15 apiece. Yeah, St. James's Park, not a happy hunting ground. Daniel, what also I guess is really incredibly frustrating, I feel like watching all four goals, but all four are very avoidable. Um, We'll, we'll break we'll break into it. Before, before we do break down the nose, I'm just going to get the positive out of the way, the one positive out of the way because I feel like we should just get that done before we focus on pretty much everything else that went wrong. Raheem Sterling, it is a wonderful free kick. It is something that, you know, had been threatening. We saw early in the season here that free kick against uh, Bournemouth came off uh, the crossbar. I don't think he did much after this event, but still yeah. it's more than he basically most Chelsea players did on the day itself. So, you know, worthy of just some praise. But Daniel, that is now goal contributions for Raheem Sterling in the last three against Spurs, against Manchester City, against Newcastle. And this was a player who... You know, despite playing quite well, this time season was also, you know, the lack of goals in the bigger games was sort of lack of goal contribution in big games was being held against him. He is now adding that to his game. A wonderful free kick, a moment that brought us back level, a moment, you know, that I guess gave false hope. But just a word like it's just nice to see Raheem Sterling is now adding, you know, adding sort of a big game, bigger game performances to his, to his Chelsea catalogue. Yeah, he's, I, I thought over the summer that people's quick assumption that Mudrick was just going to walk into the starting 11 were a little bit naive. Firstly, because of the experience that Sterling would naturally give this squad because it is a very young squad. But then also we are talking about one of the best wingers, just best attackers in the Premier League over the past decade. And that quality, that know-how, that end product doesn't just evaporate overnight, even though he did have a, a tricky season last time out I mean he still scored nine goals last year which I know isn't anywhere close to Sterling's best but considering Chelsea attacking standards isn't actually the worst tally for a wide player and yeah he is consistently impacting the game I I do agree with you though it is that's what makes it so bizarre is that he scores that goal and you think it's going to be a really big day for him but then actually you can't quite get it out of your head his involvement in giving away stupid fouls him very much you know going missing like a lot of the attackers as the game progressed that means that unfortunately it's a goal that will 
be forgotten when it was actually a really, really good free kick. Because Chelsea don't score many free kicks nowadays and, and you know, they feel like a bit of a collector's item, but that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, let's now just, but that is kind of a positive other way. There's also a really nice bit of build-up play that's, you know, I've seen clipped up around to a, you know, that Enzo Fernandez chance, really nice build-up play there. But yeah, that was basically as good as he got. Let's, Daniel, let's break it down because there's just a familiar, frustrating feeling about the goals we can see. First of all, the first goal, I mean, yeah, Cucurello just basically doesn't step up in time. Alexander Izak is given so much freedom to score 1-0. We lost 4-1, by the way. I don't place any blame on Robert Sanchez for any of the goals we conceded, yeah. which is also just quite telling about how bad it was defensively, but I don't blame our keeper for that. I will get on to him at the corners and set pieces later. The first goal, Daniel, is just frustrating. It's poor. It's just Cucurello just switching off, really. And it's just like, ah, okay, yeah, there's sort of without trying to like stick the knee there's the Cucurella we kind of saw from last season sort of coming back to form after some you know good performances uh that was sort of a Cucurella we we come back and you know but yeah just just frustrating and the start and again Daniel that's the third game in a row Chelsea go behind in in a row uh and yeah for whatever reason Chelsea are starting games quite poorly yeah it's it, it the problem is that you go to St. James's Park, and this is kind of a general theme of the game for me that makes it so stark and concerning is is the basics just done wrong. I'd say in most Premier League games, but especially at St. James's Park, and especially with this current Newcastle team, is you have to ride the wave of the first like 20, 30 minutes. It's just obvious that with that crowd being up, with the sense of optimism around that club at the moment, even with their injury concerns it was always going to be intense. And they've still, despite their injury crisis, I mean, they still had some very, very good players on that pitch. One of those being Isaac, one of those being Anthony Gordon, Bruno Guimaraes. We're still, uh, Miguel Ambron, still talking about a, a very talented team that can hurt you. So there are basics you have to do to weather that storm, not give away cheap fouls in and around your box because we know, uh, and and your sort of defensive uh, area because you know the, the quality that Kieran Trippier has. And another part of that is gifting that goal and the Kukurea. Unfortunately, it was a Kukurea performance, but that's not meant as a compliment. You know, it was very much him from last season. And I saw some trying to blame Thiago Silva for that goal as well. I mean, I don't, to me, I, I'm looking at that defensive line who have all stepped up and he's the only one that's back. I don't know how that's Thiago Silva's fault. When actually it's Baddy Ashil who's the clo- who should be the closest defender to Mark Kukurea on the left side. So yeah, I... I I thought the way Chelsea were bypassed in central midfield, the way very early on Newcastle were able to get the ball into very dangerous areas with some ease was unfortunately a sign of things to come throughout the game. Yeah, and Daniel, as we, as we mentioned at the start, we do get back to, to one all. I actually thought we did respond quite well to, to equalising. But then after that, I thought we didn't actually react well till, to, to, to equalising. And Newcastle then, you know, gained initiative. But we get into half-time, one all, and I'm thinking, well, you, as you said, Newcastle did have tons of players out there, but they did also. You looked at their bench, I think they had three keepers on the bench. Like you were thinking, you know, and looked at our bench. Depth, you know, you were hoping that Chelsea was still very much in this game. And, you know, they hadn't played great in that first half, but they were very much in this game. But, Daniel, we can see the second goal. It's basically a carbon copy of Manuel Akanji's equaliser for Manchester City yeah. last week. A cross comes in from that same side of the pitch and he's just unmarked, free header. Sanchez is just rooted to the spot. We, it is very frustrating to concede the same type of goals and then the the moment that kills the game, minutes later, seconds later, Thiago Silva 
uh, doesn't, you know, hit the pass back properly to the keeper. And there's Joe Linton to make it free. Well, at that point, it's game over. At that point, it's game over. This Chelsea yeah. team has come back before this season, but they're not come back from two goals with 30 minutes left against Newcastle when they just aren't playing great anyway. Ah, Daniel, that, yeah, and that's kind of the start of, of the meltdown. But just, just you just thought the second goal is... The third goal is obviously annoying and it's frustrating. And Thiago Silva obviously will then, you know, get a lot of a wrath and blame. And understandably, because that's the goal, that's the error that kills the game. But the second goal is all for, probably just the one that annoys me more because I've seen that, see, saw that goal last week. Yeah, that's, again, basics, right? Before that, that period of play was Chelsea giving a series of free kicks away to Newcastle to allow them to get the ball into the box. We know, apart from their technical quality, Newcastle thrive off their physicality. They are a, a team that likes to confront you, likes to try and unsettle you. And again, these are just that's that's the frustrating thing. Like, I I can't really say it was an amazing performance by Newcastle because all of their goals were very basic. Like they were, there was not a sense. You know, when you go up against like Man City or Arsenal and you look at some of the individual quality they have, like Man City, for instance, you watch their team and you go, you you kind of understand that they've got a level of player that no matter how good your defensive setup is, you have to understand that they are going to create some good looks at your goal because they have extraordinary talent. But the number of times Newcastle were able to fashion chances that... I would think that a lot of teams in the Premier League would fashion against us, to be honest, is a is a point that you look at the the tactical setup, you're looking at individual and 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 sort of just collective uh, ability to respond to situations, the discipline of the team, and the know-how of someone like Raheem Sterling giving away cheap fouls. That he was the one who, who gave away the foul that it wasn't directly that goes to the LaSalle's header, but it's. It, I think it was a header away and then the ball comes back in. How much space there was on that left side of, of Newcastle's attack, right side of Chelsea's defence for that ball to be played in in the first place. And then when that ball goes in, like you referenced that it was something I was speaking about before the game against Newcastle, how much space Akanji had inside our own six-yard box to get there first. And then, of course, how much space Jamal LaSalle's had. You know, we're not talking about the best strikers in the world. We're talking about two centre-backs inside our six-yard box at key points in the game, getting free headers and free looks at our goal. It's just simply indefensible. Like, there's no there's no excuse for it. It's, it's basics. And either you look at individuals and say, why aren't you being more aggressive there? If the ball comes in, why aren't you being more commanding? A lot of the discussion pre-game was about having height in Chelsea's defence. And I saw people calling for Benoit Badia-Shield to be in there. But he made absolutely no difference in those situations. So it's it's a massive red flag. And it's something that, you know, there are shades of, of Lampard's Chelsea from 1920. And that team gave away a lot of stupid goals. And unfortunately, this this team is, is already having a habit of doing so. And it just, I, I hate to sound very obvious, but no matter how positive you are up top, no matter how much maybe the team looks cohesive, they didn't against Newcastle, obviously, if you have that Achilles heel, it's going to be very difficult for you to progress as a team because you gift uh, you gift your opponent, you know, the chance to cling on to something, but then you just give yourself more work to do. And I do agree with you that the the Thiago Silva one is maybe a sign of, you know, he's the most experienced, he's the oldest player on the pitch. You need a sense of calm in that moment. 
we've okay we've conceded another goal the crowd's up but we need to stabilize again and, and try and go again and build momentum in this final period of the game to maybe get an equalizer and then when your most experienced player does that and it kills the game all discipline seems to go out the window that's not to say that it has to go out the window but it was just a sign of of, of where Chelsea were heading in that game and the complete lack of control the complete lack of uh, maturity and composure we had throughout that game just basic schoolboy errors and when Thiago Silva's making the most basic of them all it kind of signals how bad a day it was. Yeah. And if you know, as a sad day, because he made history being Chelsea's ev- oldest ever outfield player yesterday, Daniel, you know, maybe some point. Is it also, you know, perhaps telling that he's made Ch- history as Chelsea's oldest ever outfield player. He's the only player to have played every 90 minutes in Premier League under Maurizio Pochettino. And when you were last on, we praised his performance against Arsenal. But he has been in terms of performance defensively, a bit hit and miss this season. You know, we, we said we had the good games against Arsenal. He obviously gets the goal against City last week, but then you sort of question him a little bit. First time the goals there, or against Spurs, uh, was was not amazing. Is it potentially Thiago Silva? Is, I mean, I'm going to, you know, it sounds silly seeing that we, you know, he was excellent against Arsenal, but is he potentially getting found out a bit more against the, the better teams in this division when you compare to look at when we see how Saudi will say against Fulham etc away when you know goes over to the end is it maybe that his time potentially catching up to Thiago Silva I know we lavish his praise against Arsenal not that long ago and he was excellent that day albeit I think Arsenal you know didn't really turn up those battles also down to our performance bit but is it you know or is it just yesterday just like it just happens as well is it a bit of both what, what are your thoughts because you know Thiago Silva has not been quite his you know the Thiago Silva we know from his first two seasons, there were signs of it last season. Um, there's still been some good performances this season, but I guess like probably just like quite a few of the defenses really, and a lot of the players just his performance has kind of been like a lot of others, just quite inconsistent. Yeah, I mean, I I'm I'm a little bit cautious to write off Silver because I went quite heavy earlier in the season. Not like saying oh he's never going to have a good game for Chelsea again, uh, but I I think it was after the Forest and Villa games. My big concern with him was just the style of football that. Pochettino wants to play is very proactive. We speak about at times very chaotic, you know, because it is, it requires a lot of energy and because it isn't a back three, there are going to be times where he's probably exposed more in one-on-one situations than he was. We did see that for, sorry, just, and we did see that for Gordon's fourth goal. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, 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 that's that, that in itself is an issue. Right. And I, I was concerned about that, but I felt after that, he responded quite well and, you know, I think I, I'm someone that if I have, even if I have a preset belief about a player or I believe that maybe there's a trend of things to be concerned about or criticised, if a player has an individual good performance, I'm not just going to ignore it. Like, And, and I think that Silva, as we've said, ha- has had some good moments. But I do feel that it's quite clear this season there's going to be a transition in that defence sooner rather than later. What I would say is that and this was my deep frustration with Cesar Azpilicueta, and maybe you could look back to Branislav Ivanovic too, is, and Chelsea have been very guilty of this, of holding on to play, not knowing when to cut ties with players. And one of the things we did brilliantly with John Terry was we never really got to see that decline from him properly uh, because he was kind of just taken out the team under Antonio Conte, and then we moved on. And I do think that maybe Pochettino has to have a similar approach here. If if he looks at it, analyzes it and goes, I've got 
Badia Shield back now. I've got Axel Dezassi. I've got Levi Colwell. In time, I will also have Wesley Fofana, who obviously won't be back till the second half of the season or may not play much football this season. All of that combined, I think, it makes you think that, you know, in the, in the long term, that transition is going to need to happen. And maybe it will be a case of of making a very tough decision because it's undeniable silver still brings you a level that you think is valuable. But then we see games like yesterday, you can pick up moments in a Man City game, you can pick up moments before that and have concerns that the game is slightly passing him by. And I wouldn't want this to become a regular occurrence when he's been such an extraordinary signing for Chelsea. So it's a big decision, but we all know where this is heading in Chelsea's defence. So is it better to make the, the change sooner rather than later? That's what Pochettino will have to decide in the upcoming weeks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, um, and obviously Daniel, Chelsea do not end this game with 11 men. Uh, typical Chelsea self-implosion style. Uh, we end it with 10. Reese James. I will talk about this because, Daniel, I feel that probably against, in the Spurs game, amidst all the chaos, his his hot-headedness probably got glossed over by quite a lot of people. Probably certainly on pod, I mentioned it, but I was, you know, saying he was he was a bit lucky, but I didn't really expand further than this. But Daniel, this is your captain. And yes, we're three one down, and yeah, you can argue the game's gone, etc. But this is your captain, this is your leader in your team, and he gets two just really poor yellow cards, gets himself sent off, and I said, "This is your captain." And again, we like he's lucky in a sense. We could have been talking about two red cards in you know threes because he he probably could or should have got sent off away at Spurs, and that's a moment when you know different to this one. It's one all. We're very much in the game. That yeah. you know that was him. You know potentially thrown away a chance for him to like throw away sort of the initiative that we had then. And yesterday it's just so poor for him. And I don't really want to make, I don't really think you can really make excuses or defense for him because yes, while he is still a young player, he has still played a lot of football and been in this Chelsea team for a while. If this was Reese in say 1920 under Frank making his debut, maybe even the start of 2021 season under Frank, you could maybe give him a bit more leeway for this, but that is just, that was just really, really poor to see from Reese James. And honestly, that probably was the thing the goals annoyed me. Yeah, it was annoying me. That just annoyed me because I'm think because obviously that's him now suspended for the Brighton game. Thankfully, we do have Gusto to deputise. But I'm just thinking this is so poor. And on a wider point, Daniel, I feel our discipline is genuinely probably feels like the worst. I feel like out of all the yellow cards we get, the ratio for discipline to actual for for dissent and discipline compared to like just poorly timed tackles or cynical play. Is not right. Like that proportion is way too high. The amount of yellow cards we get for dissent, but just thoughts because I thought that was just really poor from Reese. I know he comes out afterwards, apologizes, etc. But that's I, that's just really poor from Reese. So I'm just very disappointed from him yesterday. This is going to sound really harsh, but I, I don't think he should be Chelsea captain. Who do you give it to right now, other than him? That was the discussion a lot of people were having over the summer. I felt. 
in some ways it was a gesture for Chelsea's most talented player. In some ways it was a gesture maybe to to ensure that maybe he stays here for the long term through some difficult periods. Uh, but I, I I have concerns about handing Reese the captaincy on two fronts, really. I think the first point is is quite glaringly obvious is his injury record, right? I don't I don't know how you can give a captaincy to someone who's unlikely to be fit for the majority of the season. You need to have a captain who's durable, who is going to be a regular feature in your starting eleven, who can be reliable. And I don't think Reese James, based off the evidence we have, that may be, we all hope it's about to change, but based off all the evidence, he breaks down pretty frequently. The second part of it is because of the weight of that armband. You know, I, I know in football, it probably isn't quite what it used to be, but I still do think being a captain matters. And I think, especially when you're someone who's come through Cobham, that especially when we, you know, we saw the likes of Mason Mount leave, there's a sense that he needs to be a leader, not just for this Chelsea team, but for Cobham as well, you know, for, for the proof of, of, of Cobham and, and Academy players getting into the first team. And I just, I, I've seen so much so far this season, the rare times he has been on the pitch, as you referenced the Spurs game, where I, I don't see a player who appreciates the weight of that armband. I, I don't get a sense. This is a player who has enough, but yet, unfortunately, despite how talented he is, he has too many rash moments. He His decision-making, again, was exposed yesterday. Even if the game's done, it's on you to still be a leader, to still be the cool head in those moments, to just brave, put a brave face on and just try to get your team out of there. But then to make a selfish basically decision in that moment to lose your head it doesn't reflect well on him as as a character in that moment unfortunately and I think that that is something that you know again who do you give it to but I would say you know Conor Gallagher since getting that captain's armband I know he had a really really bad game yesterday but he's had the captain's armband and as well he's more durable than Reese James like he I think he will play a majority of games you need someone who's who's going to be who's going to show a level of maturity and 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 Reese James is not a young player in the sense that he hasn't had a lot of experience. This is a guy who played and starred in a Champions League final for Chelsea, where he played amazingly. He has played for his nation. He's played a lot of football, and his lack of discipline reflects badly on him, but also the rest of the team. And and as you say, that that broader point you made in the second part there of like the discipline, the petulance we have seen, you know, Nicholas Jackson got suspended earlier in the season for kicking the ball away, got or diving or just stupid moments of kicking the ball away or having a go at the ref. Listen, we all are frustrated with the, with the poor officiating, but there has to be a cold, almost still like level to the team in these moments that the great Chelsea teams used to have. And just good Chelsea teams or just good teams have that you just you have to you have to look past those frustrations as players because in the grand scheme of things, you let your team down, you get a yellow that either leads to a second yellow in the same game or accumulates to you missing a big game later down the line. And when your captain's doing that, it kind of shows that lack of control. 
Does that go to the head coach? Does that go to the culture within the club currently? I think that's a broader discussion. But for Reese James, it's a, it's a real shame because he should be Chelsea's best player. He should be a leading light within this team. And whether it's because he's consistently injured or in moments like this, he's showing a lack of discipline. It's not the best Reese James. And hopefully for him, it's a it's a wake-up call and he learns from it because if he wants to have that armband, which I assume he will keep for this season, he needs to do a lot more. He needs to be a lot better uh, because it's simply not the act of someone putting his team above him himself in that moment. Again, these are very harsh words and I know people love Reese James, but if we think of him as this great beacon of hope for Chelsea, we need to hold him to higher standards as well and he didn't you know, he didn't rise to those yesterday, unfortunately. Do you think also, Jude, found that he's been injured quite a lot? He's missed a lot of game time. He's sort of the captain of his team, but he's also sort of trying to almost do too much, almost impose himself, almost having more on this team. Sort of, you know, do it, yeah, just doing too much and getting carried away. Because it said against this, because it said that's you know twice now he's sort of just gone too far past that line. He has lost his header points, and Daniel, I know a great. A great favourite sort of son of Chelsea's of yours, Diego Costa, was actually very good at sort of towing that line. Now I'm not saying Diego Costa should ever be Chelsea captain. As well. Like he, he also was pre-VAR error, and you know I think that yeah, that's very true. Uh, but, yeah, 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 that's very true. But you know, we I could get could get through for Valverde to Diego, but it very just sense sense of like just towing the line, towing the line. I think with this Chelsea team, just needs to be done because I said, I mean, Jackson doesn't get yellow card yesterday, but I mean, Jackson's on I think seven yellow cards already this season. He's already missed one game. And I feel like most of his yellow cards, for example, are just for this, like poor discipline, chan back to refs. And yeah, it was just so poor. Daniel, obviously, the lineup yesterday, I guess, is actually interesting. I do want to talk about because obviously we mentioned the height that, that Newcastle possessed. We were woeful at set pieces. Robert Sanchez has, you know, not been mentioned really so far. This is a man of start season. I was, you know, praising him because, like, oh, we've got a, got a keeper who comes and collects the ball from crosses. We didn't see that yesterday. That was embarrassing, honestly. Set piece yesterday. You were kind of hiding, just like every time something came in, you're just hiding, just like, oh God. It, it just felt lethal. I was like, what am I watching? Am I watching like a weird mixture of am I watching like essentially Brendan has Brendan Rogers taken over Brendan Rogers is Leicester taken over Chelsea defense and is have Newcastle combined Trippier's like amazing free kicks with Tony Pulis's Rory Delap long throw ins. Like, what is this? It was honestly just a horrible, a horrible nightmare watching set pieces like. They could have scored a, a good couple of times. And Sanchez, I don't know what he was complaining about. He was just like running into his own player. Oh, it was fast at set pieces yesterday. Daniel, set pieces again, another thing we've got to work on. Where's a set piece going to when you need one? Oh, this set mm-hmm. piece, it was honestly like amateur hour stuff yesterday. It was, it was horrible viewing. Yeah, I just, I'm sorry. I just, I'm thinking back to that Sanchez performance, man, at set pieces. I just, it, you could put Benny Hill music over it. And it would be not our place. I mean, he just, I don't know what he was doing. It, it was just like trying his best to, he was trying to look almost like a parody of a goalkeeper at set pieces. He, you know, it was, it was so bad and he got away of it, but I don't, if you're going to try and win fouls, you've got to at least make it look convincing. And he just, he was over-exaggerating it. He was running into and and like wildly flapping his arms about and then like looking for a foul that was never going to come. And it just, it looks so calamitous on his part. 
it's it's really poor. It's really poor. And, you know, Chelsea, they didn't get away with it because we lost the game 4-1, but we got away with it mostly, actually, when we look at it from corners, like in terms of um, Joe Linton, the chance in the first half, he has to be bearing. That's one where I don't know what Sanchez is trying to do. Um, you've just got to come... Again, it's discipline, right? It's, it, 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 it goes back to that maturity. And players taking command and responsibility in moments where your team needs needs you as an individual to relieve pressure. And that's what a goalkeeper can do when he commands his box. He can relieve so much pressure. And I'm sure it has a psychological impact when he's doing that and he looks so flimsy at set pieces. It doesn't it doesn't give us much confidence in him, but I'm sure his teammates it 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 probably projects a, a lack of, of assurance to them as well. And and we've seen that before with Kepa Rizabalaga, how I, I think absolutely it, it got to a point where the defence didn't trust him. He probably didn't trust his defence and it becomes an unworkable situation and it becomes an, an easy flaw that opponents can exploit. And it's not like Chelsea don't have height. We do have height in our defence. The argument could be made of, of what personnel you're starting to ensure that height is there. But like even against Brentford, we... We did have height and we still got bossed airily. So it's something that really needs to be worked upon because, again, simple mistakes, simple flaws that will just undermine this Chelsea team, no matter how well we perform against the likes of Man City, even in games against Man City, we're conceding, you know, cheap goals. So I agree with you. It's it's comic. If you just want to have a good laugh, you know, at Chelsea's expense for Gallo's humour, you can watch Sanchez's act comedy act stand-up act at set pieces but for the long term it's 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 a massive red flag again yeah honestly obviously uh, that comedian carl porter went viral for his slow-mo goal i feel like that that's that's, that's that, that could be his next act yeah. pretending to be a, a goalkeeper flapping he, he yeah. Could, yeah he could he could pull that off um yeah it was obviously just a really poor day for chelsea nicholas jackson anonymous conor gallagher one of his worst poorest games in Chelsea shirt no doubt cole palmer pretty anonymous enzo fernandez Again, just pretty, pretty quiet. A big uh, start for Leslie Ogachoku, uh, because Moises Caicedo comes back uh, late from international duty. I'm not going to go in and big Les look. It, it's a tough environment, tough situation to sort of throw him into. Again, he struggled like a lot of others did. Daniel, it was an interesting call to to start Benoit Badishil. He'd only played 60 minutes of football previous this season. That was against Blackburn in the Carabao, Carabao Cup. So to throw him in against Newcastle was a big call when Axel Dazazi is on bench and also... Thiago Silva wouldn't have played with him this season. He wouldn't have played for him for a while. You know, he's used to playing with, with Levi or 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 Dezazi. So again, is it, it just felt again, I'm you know, it's easy to say after after the fact, but obviously that and I'm bad issue is not why we lost that game four one, it's a whole collective, but it, it was it was a, a cool blessed save that, that did not work. Yeah, I I was a little bit surprised to see his name in the starting lineup. I mean, I, I do think that he for the majority of the time has looked like a very shrewd signing for Chelsea, but I just assumed that either Axel Dezassi would would keep his place or Levi would come into to centre back alongside Silva. And maybe it, it was a game too soon for, for Benoit Badiashil. But I, I I'm trying, you know, I'm trying not to just individually look at him and say and, and go too harsh on him, number one, because it's his first Premier League start of the season and also you're looking at the collective here the collective underperformance that exposed players consistently 
but it was quite strange from a Pochettino choice to throw him in when you have other players who have played a lot more football so far this season and are probably in better shape to to take a game with that intensity as well. Like, you know, given he hasn't had a lot of football, barely any so far this season for the first team, you know, it also was a very hyper game. It was a very alert game. It wasn't one that, to ease yourself back into Newcastle away. So that probably heightened any and really did expose any sluggishness in Badia Shill's game. Maybe he was concerned about Levi's injury situation. That he didn't feel he was ready to come back. But I, I'd be surprised if if Badia Shill is starting again next week, uh, if, I, if I'm being honest. Yeah. 4-1 defeat meant Newcastle scored four-plus goals in a Premier League game against Chelsea for the first time since September 1994. Daniel, this result did also come after an international break. I just want to focus on this quickly. Good friend of ours, Tom Cody, uh, tweet. Chelsea results after the international breaks in 2023. 2-0 lost to Aston Villa. That's last season under Grand Potter, so I'm not going to give that one as much attention. 0-0 against Bournemouth. 2 against Arsenal. 4-1 against Newcastle. Daniel, I know obviously Chelsea have a, a contingent of players who go away to international duty. They come back at different times. Obviously, we saw that Moises Caicedo misses this game. I also think he didn't start the Bournemouth 0-0, if I remember correctly, at the time. Because, he, you know, again, that was, a, I think, the last time Big Les started, certainly in the league. Anyway, there's, a, there's sort of a mixture there. Obviously, there's no wins in there. And there's probably one good performance in there, which is oddly the Arsenal game. Um do you try and make sense of it? Like, what do, you, what do you put Chelsea's sort of form right after the international break down to? Because said we were going into the international break in a good spot, and then there's a break, and then that performance is basically just you know everything you know that you know we've not seen this last sort of couple of weeks. Like, what do you kind of put it down to? Because it just feels like a bit lazy to sort of just go, oh yeah, well we've got players on international duty, players come back at different times, because other clubs have got that issue as well. And they, and again, I have not looked into how other clubs do after the international break, but it feels Chelsea particularly, and I mean, this stat from Tom Proves, it's only in 2023. We do not fare well after the international breaks. But what, what do you think is, and how, how, if anything, do we change it? I think it probably just reflects that the structure around the first team isn't amazing uh, in terms of having a set game plan, having kind of muscle memory that you go back to on a regular basis that, the players feel confident even if they aren't at 100%. And when changes are made to the first team, the the players coming in maybe aren't performing to the level that they should be to cover for those players returning late from, from international or if they got injured for some reason or, or not ready for the game. So I, I think that's what, it, you know, but it's, again, these are things that you have to get over as a team. Uh, because they aren't going to change and everyone deals with them. Like Newcastle had all the injury problems. Man United have massive injury problems. Um, these these are things that have been in football for a very long time. So I don't, I don't, it's not that it's not an issue. It's something like, it's a stat that I think is relevant, but in terms of fixing it, it's just, it has to be fixed because it can't just be used as a crutch of, well, we've got the international break. What are you going to do? I expect that even if Chelsea have to get better at playing badly and still getting results. Um, so far this season, it feels like if Chelsea aren't at a good level, we aren't going to get a positive result. Um, we need to become a 
Is it about that kind of cold, clinical, mature, dogged side of Chelsea that I think has been lost in recent years and, and needs to get back because you need to find ways as a good team to win in multiple ways. Like not every game for a variety of reasons is going to go perfectly. We all want every player to have a seven out of 10, but sometimes that just isn't the case. And to like, look at Liverpool, right? Away at Man City. I think Liverpool could have easily lost that game to a 3-0. I don't think Liverpool were amazing, but they were somehow able to find a way to stick in that game until the end and walk away of a point because of an individual moment of brilliance. Chelsea not only need to get better overall, better in finishing, better in defending the basics, those are starting points. But above above that in the long term, it's about finding a repeatable way of playing or just a, a spirit within the group that means that we can ride difficult moments. Because you to believe you're going to go through seasons, especially in the current climate, with your full team fit and never having to make difficult changes or surprise changes because a player's pulled up with something or they come back late from international duty... As a coach in the modern game, that's just a, it's almost a non-negotiable at this point. It's just what you have to do with as a top team. So that is something that needs to be resolved quickly because if we just keep on coming back from international breaks, especially at this time of the season and just collapsing, I mean, you're never going to improve as a team. Yeah, yeah. We're now going to move on to some of your guys' listener questions. First question comes in from RJ. Having factored in our season to date, how much progress do you think we have made so far and where do you think we'll see the most improvements for the remainder of the season? Thinking of players, tactics, manager, etc. Because Daniel has said, we have now dropped into the bottom half um, after after yesterday's result. Also, you, you mentioned about Chelsea, about Liverpool performance yesterday. There was a, when we gave me on Sky, do pop a graphic of uh, uh, points from win, from losing positions. And at the time of recording, we were like, we were second on that list with eight points. Um behind Liverpool obviously I think for me that's just one area we have improved and again yesterday it doesn't amount to anything but again we do sort of temporarily come back from one nil down so in terms of just like for me that's like one of the most noticeable things this season is Chelsea concede first it does not mean it's necessarily game over I'll say away from home at home it feels a bit more a bit more inevitable but away from home Chelsea concede it doesn't necessarily feel game over as such um, but on obviously, I think, you know, in terms of the spirit, et cetera, there's been a, I mean, it's, it's probably quite hard to be as bad or as worse as last season. So, but just for you, how much progress do you think that there has been made? Because obviously people would, I, I, well, I think there has been, and, you know, we can we can probably get into some now. I think also people would like to see us a bit higher than 11th at the time of recording, which is only, I think, you know, a few places higher than we were last season. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been, it, it's sad, right, because... I think that overall I've wanted to sort of look at the positives and not just be nihilistic about the situation and, and cynical consistently, right? And and feel that we are moving in a positive direction. Because I, I don't just think that's just blind faith or trying to be optimistic for, for just being happy and positive all the time. Because when you need to be critical, you need to be critical. But if you're going to be completely blunt, and maybe just look at it in the most simplistic way. Chelsea haven't progressed in the table. We still are mid-table and we're nearly at Christmas. So in that sense, there hasn't been any great improvement. We've just kind of stayed where we were last year. Now, 
context and actual performances themselves, I think have been better than last season. The unfortunate thing and the horrible thing about the Newcastle one, it did feel very last season. It did feel it it's the first time I could I could genuinely say Chelsea overall were horrendous. Like collectively were horrendous. There was very little to take from in, from the game at all. That felt very last season. Like last season, generally, as I was on this podcast, as you were on a on a weekly basis, like very few times you got any joy from the team. To say we've got no joy from Chelsea so far this season, I don't think is accurate. But the the fact we are nowhere close to where we want to be so far, we still are mid-table, we still do look away off Champions League spots is obviously something to be concerned and maybe does speak of the wider issue. And then you look at recruitment, you look at the ownership, you look at the culture that's being created within the club. I know Chelsea, you've tweeted this and it's it's hard to argue against. You know, he he brought up that look at the takeovers of Chelsea and Newcastle and look at the direction both of those clubs have gone in since. And one club is has already got into the Champions League and seems to be going in one direction, which is positive. And Chelsea, I mean, I wouldn't say are completely going down, but, you know, we, we just seem to be very mediocre at the moment, which is mid-table. And, and obviously getting around that is it seems to be the big hurdle for Pochettino that he hasn't solved yet. Yeah. You know, RJ, as I said, you know, I think we've seen, you know, listen, some players, I know we've talked about Kukura, but I think there has been some improvement from him from last season. I think Conor Gallagher has, you know, as a player, has gone on leaps and bounds since last season, albeit I think his sort of performances last season were slightly, you know, over ridiculed by people. I think he like he was okay. He was he was he was fine. Sterling is a player who has improved under Poch. I think he said player performances, uh, some player performance has improved. And there's been some encouraging signs said the fact that we got a win against a big six side this season, you know, which we failed to do last season, albeit the caveat, it was nine men, etc. The fact we were able to come back three times against Manchester City. There's been, you know, there's been progress in terms of spirit, but then also, like, a lot of it have been the big games. And I think, you know, last season we were bad, but, you know, we were very bad in for one of the first times in a while, we just also just very bad in the big games. But Chelsea in the big games always tended to be quite good over the recent years, despite what else has been going on. So, RJ, it's, yeah, it's quite, look, I, I'm disappointed with yesterday and yesterday was really abysmal. There's basically nothing good to say about yesterday, no real positives. And this is probably the most negative podcast of the season by far. But in general, in terms of big picture, not for me, loads has changed. I still think this team is capable of going Europa League football but I think they've got to improve their discipline they've got to show signs of improving their discipline and they can't keep conceding the amount of soft goals they do because until they do the discipline the poor discipline which finally comes back to, to haunt us yesterday and you know our poor defending of set piece and poor goals we conceded it's just going to limit us to what we can achieve because as I said that's also eight goals conceded in our last two games <laughs> like yeah, there's, a, there's only so much you can do if you're conceding like a high volume of of goals and the defense, which we, you know, was good under Poch at the start of the season. Now in recent weeks, it's sort of been, you know, you know, a bit, a bit, not, has been, has been not as, not as good recent weeks. So, yeah, RJ, there's, you know, there's, there has been progress made. I think we will still see rooms. Unfortunately, I just think it is, and you know, I just do think, unfortunately, we're just going to still see performances like this, you know, throughout, throughout the season. It's going to be frustrating. It's going to be annoying and it's going to be disheartening. But as I said, we've lost five games already this season. So, RJ, I think we're going to be quite a few few more. And we'll, we'll just see, you know, like I said, 
not long ago when we had that week where we beat Spurs for one and yes, there was sort of caveats at Bournemouth and then that four all draw with City. You you're thinking, okay, you know, we've we've seen like really, really what this team is, you know, can do. Uh, and then you get yesterday where you go, Oh yeah, they also can do this in a negative way. So yeah, RJ, look, pro- progress some progress has been made. It's probably not certainly in the league table, it's not what we, you know, the progress we'd have liked in terms of some player performances and some like, you know, there has been yeah, there's been some signs of progress and improvement, RJ, but it's probably maybe not the not not quite at the rate or not quite at the speed or and certainly the league position that people would like. Um the next question comes in from friend of a pod, Jessica, who basically her quote, she quote tweeted a Chelsea YouTube, which was five wins from the last twenty five. Um and she says, who or what is to blame? I take it multiple factors, but it's still frustrating. Different managers with different players, and it's hard to see meaningful changes in the end. Because Daniel said, as much as we you know, do want to be all positive about what we've seen this season, and maybe we should try not to include sort of a back end of you know, what we saw last season, because it is you know, a new era with Poch. But there's some of those players still remain. And also, Chelsea fans can't just wipe last season from their memory. They wish they could. They, would, they really, really wish they could. But when you see like, it said five wins from the last 25 in in the Premier League. Like that is, yeah, that is not, that is not good form at all. That is not form that's going to get you to achieve very much at all. So who, what is to blame? Like multiple factors, like obviously there's probably a lot of reasons, but you know, it is quite tough to sort of put it down to because I think Poch has done a decent job at trying to, you know, recover or eradicate some of those issues, but there's still problems he's, facing that I think a lot of Chelsea managers faced in dealing with low blocks etc there's still you know the fact that Chelsea basically still annoyingly just have shockers in the, this Chelsea team throughout number you still have that shocker in them what do you kind of put it down to because I feel there's a lot and I mean there is another question we'll get on to later about you know someone said in about signing more players which you know we'll get into in fact I saw that question I was like oh god <laughs> that's the last thing we need but what do you kind of put it down to because it is, it is Chelsea Chelsea are quite a hard club to explain like it feels like the last season or two, the highs are quite high. You look at Dortmund last season, the Champions League, you look at beating, going to Spurs and winning 4-1, the City 4 all, and the lows are incredibly low. There's no sort of like, it would be nice if it was a bit more of a happy medium, like rather than just going like up and down so much, that scale in terms of emotions. But what do you put it down to? Who, who is to blame? What like, what do you kind of put just stuff like yesterday and Chelsea just, I guess, form over the last bit down to? Yeah, I think the, the issue is, is it was something that I consistently talked about in the, I guess you call it now the previous era of Chelsea um, is when you see different coaches and different players come in, but you see the same issues continue to repeat. I, I think that then you look above, right? You look at well, what's happening in the club that seems to always lead us back into the same path. And I think the same could be said here with was the strategy over the summer wrong of recruiting so many young players? Now, I'm not really going to... I I have little time again for another discussion point where... I mean, two weeks ago when Chelsea played Man City, the analysis post from people was Chelsea are definitely back in in like a year or two. Chelsea will be uh, winning the Premier League and everything's going to be great and look at all these great players we've signed. And then literally two weeks later, it's all of the recruitment over the summer was woeful. We've wasted a billion so I'm not. I I think the the idea that either of those like either of those points of view are accurate for me is is a little bit silly. I'm not going to sit here and instantly now say every player we brought in is a waste of time and we need to spend another 
however billions to to rectify. Uh, but there clearly is something within the club that has made the levels not just deteriorate from Premier League winners to just about getting into the top four. It's now gone to mid-table. Is it a sense of players not feeling a, a collective sense of urgency or responsibility that means that we're seeing in- also Dan such an interrupt Posh for the first time hammered the players yesterday and basically was you know basically quite going at them because obviously what they what he saw against Spurs and City was not what he saw against Newcastle which also yeah. comes back to a bigger point you we've made over recent years Chelsea in the big games Chelsea I mean Newcastle and Newcastle you know it's kind of a big game now given where they are but yeah yeah you you do see the massive collapses across the season and that's been the case for for a long time now of course so that mentality point, that focus point, that that sense that Chelsea, you know, I, I, that the quote, one of the most defining quotes over the last decade for me, probably a little bit less actually, but you know, the it's from the that athletic piece when Frank was sacked the first time is that you know Chelsea have become a club of self-preservation, and I felt that that was a really stark quote because I think it spoke to a, a club that had lost its way, a club that had indulged individuals that had was maybe too content to look back at previous successes and stuck in its ways maybe in 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 some parts now there also is just the reality that the new ownership has come in and ripped so much stuff up and has put so much new new personnel new ways of thinking a new recruitment strategy in that means that it was always going to be a bit chaotic that's just the consequence of the, the path they've taken, whether you think that is the right path or not. I know a lot of people think it isn't the right path, but that was always going to be the consequence of what they've done. That's just the reality of so much change in a short period of time. So I, I, I'm struggling to find the solution and struggling to find the the single point. Some are very set on it just being the ownership and we have the worst owners in football now. And they're all to blame and, and everything they do is woeful and we're heading down to the championship. I mean, I'm I'm not of that belief, but I don't think it'd be very very smart to kind of come on here and say their decision making can't be scrutinized, because I think it absolutely can be, because we, we have not just dropped from where we were before. You know, it, this is very concerning how mid table Chelsea are now and it shouldn't be a consistent thing given given the money we're spending as well. I mean it's not like Chelsea are spending nothing now. We are spending more in some cases than we did before in, in if you just look at a shorter period of time. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. Exactly. Also Dan it's quite interesting because I think was it Simon Phillips said something yesterday that the owners sort of expect Champions League qualification of that was sort of what they expecting and that granted I think Christopher and Kunku on this side does make a difference, but it's also quite interesting that you know that's the goal. And then you look at the profile of players recruited in the summer. That kind of screams more for for you know trying to you know wanting Champions League. You'd think well, if they want Champions League, they recruit might be a bit different to to fast track that success to get that success back on track. Because you can't convince me right now that this Chelsea side is any getting anywhere close to the Champions League qualification. So it is interesting, and obviously, I think at Daniel, best it's, uh, it's sick place. I think that's yeah. Think at best, which I is think... what I said at the start of the season. I thought sick. I said season predictions. So I said I think sixth is what Chelsea could get this season. Yeah. Uh, next question comes in from Chris Cassley. Chris, I have no issue with you at all. Although when I did see this question, I did just go, "Oh no." Uh, 
January transfer window, what do we do, especially with defence, which now looks vulnerable? Daniel, I'll be honest, there's not one bit in me that after yesterday that screams Chelsea need to sign more players. Like, yeah. there's not one bit in me that wants Chelsea to sign more players, given that we've still got players to bet in. You know, we've still got Mikhailo Mudrik and Nani Madueke to, to try and, you know, sort out and bet into this Chelsea team. Wesley Fana still to come back. And also, Daniel, we talked about, you know, you. I think you mentioned, I can remember earlier, like the whole, like, this is Chelsea idea. Signing, if Chelsea were to go out and spend more money in January, to me, that kind of just reeks of what Manchester United have done, basically post-Fergie, whenever there's a slight problem, whenever there's a poor result, oh, here we go, let's throw money at it, let's go spend whatever, 100 million on Anthony or someone, or, you know, Casemiro after a poor start to the season, and look, Casemiro, to be fair, a decent sign for United, but still, they'll just spend, you know, spend money to, like, throw more money over them to try, try and fix it. I don't look at Chelsea now and go, we need to spend more money. If anything, we probably, you know, in January, I'd expect there to be some outgoings, more than incomings, if anything. Uh, there's players on the periphery who are just not really involved. And also, we do hear reports of Chelsea being linked to sort of defenders and defensive players. And it's genuinely the thing that just confuses me a lot. Because while I think we'd all accept that Trevor Chalabar is off, and I'm not going to get into a you know a tangent on how Chelsea have handled Trevor Chalabar ever since breaking into the first team. I've done that many, many a time on the pod before. But it just feels like signing players is the last thing I think Chelsea need to do right now. Like, if we... Poch just needs to just work with these players and work with who he's got right now, right? Yeah, the only position that is up for debate is is signing a striker. That's about it. Um, yeah, I I don't I don't know why Chelsea need to go out and sign more players, especially in defence where we've invested so heavily on players. There also is the context, and and people have tried to forget this this season, uh, maybe to strengthen their argument. Is Christopher and Cuckoo going down injured just on the eve of the season was a massive blow. And to act that Chelsea didn't try and buy a goal scorer when they bought Christopher and Kunku, I just think is a little bit silly. because uh, we haven't been able to judge whether Nkunku is that player. Like, is there a different timeline where Nkunku stays fit and, and he is the main goal scorer for Chelsea so far this season? Hopefully we we see that impact soon. Yeah, the the I Chelsea do not need a flurry of more players and just the idea that again just throwing more money onto it is is just going to resolve the situation perfectly maybe you buy an Ivan Tony and that adds a level of a clinical edge to to Chelsea in the final third but then the argument I would make is that Chelsea have bought the obvious answer a lot in recent years and it hasn't exactly transformed us so if your argument is experience signed the ready-made player and that's going to be the the silver bullet that resolves everything you know my argument would be what happened with Romelu Lukaku what happened you could even argue Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang you know what what happened with these players that were so experienced that were clear you know most people would turn around and go oh, is the obvious answer and they didn't prove to be uh so that would be kind of my counter argument. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind seeing Ivan Tony signed in January. I think he'd be a very good addition to Chelsea. I would like to think that he would improve our goal scoring. Uh, but the 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 answer to all of Chelsea's problems isn't just to spend millions more, um, because you can't at, at one, in one breath argue that Chelsea look cluttered and our transfer recruitment strategy is wrong, but then entrust those same people that you don't trust anyway to go out and spend more money. It just it. For me, Chelsea need to calm down in the transfer market because and and trust that the player. If you if you have bought all these players with the idea you're going to trust them and you're going to develop talent over the long term, you need to now 
take a deep breath and actually let that work go on without trying to disrupt it again. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Uh, next point, this person, apparently, if it's not a question, but I think it's interesting worth pointing out. I didn't think Poch not being on the sideline would make a big difference, but we were miles off today and we totally collapsed our second goal, lost all belief and fight. Now, Danny, obviously, Pochettino is, uh, is uh, in stands, touchline ban after after what happened uh, before the international break. Um, did Poch not being on the sideline make a difference? Because the only the only reason I think it did is I look at that Spurs game when we were very much looking like we might lose our heads of points and Pochettino was the one on the sideline sort of being there, sort of going over to him, sort of calming them down. And he was not there. But then also, like, I'm surely thinking his assistant, Jesus Perez, can can do that is it just kind of like a horrible coincidence that Poch isn't on the time isn't on the sideline and we just throw in an absolute hall of shame of performance I don't know I don't, is it is it is Poch not being on the sideline a, a big impact I don't I don't know maybe but then I kind of lean in the direction of thinking isn't there enough on the pitch to to deal with that as as players like to, to again it comes back to discipline and maturity and leadership of players to to take a role and to to understand that again these are things that time to time are going to happen in football and you have to ride the wave and it can't just be an easy excuse that well our coach isn't on the touchline so we're just going to collapse I don't really buy that yeah no fair enough fair enough Um, yeah agreed Uh, next question comes in from Dan Hill what meaningful changes would you make to the defence it looks disorganised especially from set pieces and balls into the box also Chelsea's last Three results read uh, 4-1 win, 4-4 draw and 4-1 loss. Chelsea has always been about chaos and trophies. Why does it now seem more about chaos? <laughs> I'm not there. So, but Dan, what, what, what part of that do you want to attack first? I mean, the chaos and the trophies bit. Um, yeah, I mean, that was the past. I'd like to think that Chelsea can move in a more... Uh, a calmer direction. In terms of the defence, um, I, I think the changes I would make is probably bring back Levi Colwell. Either you play Levi as left back or you you move him into the centre back role. If you want to be really harsh, you completely change the back two for next week and you have Gusto on the right, Dezassi on in in centre back, maybe Colwell. The problem then you have is is who do you play at left back? And I'm not just saying that to dismiss Ian Matson. It's just he's played so few games for Chelsea so far this season. Will he start? Uh, I, I I think it'd be refreshing to see him start actually uh, against Brighton, and maybe this is an opportunity for him to stake a claim and and prove that he can make it at Chelsea. So then maybe you you completely alter the defence. Um, I I don't think ripping it up and going to a back three is what I'm looking for personally, because I'm not interested in taking an attacker out of this team or a progressive player out of this team and heading back into the direction where we're just looking at the short-term, really uninspiring football that just means that Chelsea don't really progress as a team and maybe we get short-term results, but in the long-term, we've you know we've created a team that can only play counter-attacking football. I, I'm not really interested in that. So other than personnel changes, I'm not looking at, overall changes because you can have a back three but then if decision making is still poor and you're allowing three headers inside the box it doesn't matter whether you have a three or a four um it, it still takes players and, and the structure of the team at set pieces to to be a lot better to to ensure that those chances aren't as frequent so i don't think it's just a case of 
oh, let's add an extra defender. Let's change this, like these little tweaks. It's about an overall structure and, and positional problem and just, I, I guess, players being more alert in those situations. Yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. Dan, as for your point about why is it now seen more about chaos than just chaos and trophies, because it's just different players. As I said, we can't, I think people assuming chaos and trophies shouldn't really even assume chaos and trophies really that much with sort of the back end of the Abramovich era. That was more chaos. Yeah. Yes, trophies did happen, but they were not, I mean, and obviously there is a Champions League in there, but they were not necessarily the big trophies that Chelsea were sort of were winning in that time, obviously, we, you know, people would love that now rather than what we're seeing. But yeah, I think ultimately, Dan, it was chaos and trophies back then because we had some of the best players out there. Right now, we have players that, who knows, could be some of the best players, but are, are currently not right there now. And yeah, and as I said, meaningful change for that. As I said, I'm not a coach. So, I, you know, I've obviously imagined that Poch is the one who, you know, I'm, so I'm not going to tell Poch you know, how to sort out set pieces. But it does sort of feel that that is something that probably does need to be worked on because that is going to keep holding Chelsea back and said for the defence. I imagine Silva still plays against Brighton, I think. And I guess the only question is, obviously, there's a midweek game after that. And obviously, Chelsea, you know, does he maybe want to rest him for... Is I think it's Man United in the, away in the midweek. Yeah. So does he, does he maybe want to go, oh, actually, I'd rather Silva for that. And maybe he thinks Brighton is maybe not... Good. I don't know. Maybe there's a change there. But yeah, I... I mean, I get why Baddy Shield played yesterday for height reasons. I get that. But then could you also not play Dazazi as well? Maybe. I don't, I don't know. It just felt like a big risk throwing, throwing Baddy Shield in. And I'd, I'd have been thinking Baddy Shield, who knows, maybe some cameos off the bench when starting that Newcastle Carabao Cup quarterfinal would have been when we next sort of see him start. But yeah, who knows? And said, obviously, Levi, if he's now fit to start. I mean, against Brighton. I don't think we necessarily have to worry too much about the height issue there. So, you know, maybe you've got Cucurella at left back there, but against Man United, maybe, I don't know. We'll see, Dan. But yeah, it's, as I said, Gusto will now be right back for the next game. And also, Dan, but Jamie, you know, if see how it goes against, I mean, yeah, no, I say it's point, as enough point as Reese will be back to starting against uh, Man United midweek. It does not matter. Uh, next question comes in from uh, Suddenly Stan. What is happiness? Um, Daniel, I feel it's probably nowadays it is most things that don't necessarily involve Chelsea. Uh, I mean, you said Doctor Who last night, I guess for you was was happiness. Um, basically doing a lot of things. Yeah, when we suddenly stand, we happiness does not really, and it, it's not really something that you see at Chelsea. Certainly for long enough, we maybe had like a, that week. Spurs and Man City, that was happiness for a week. That's the best we get. Suddenly, Stan, I, I apologize. And um, the final question comes in from. J L, we can't touch on this a bit earlier, but yeah, where is the leadership when things go wrong? The skipper gets himself sent off for two CDLOs. Senior player makes schoolboy error just when we need to settle down. Now, I guess it does come back to this, but this Chelsea team, it just yeah, it just does feel quite naive at points. Like there isn't, yeah, there, there is leadership out there, but I'm not necessarily sure how. I guess impactful it is I said I don't think any of those players we have on that pitch scream captain material leading material granted I think in this this current era we have of the Premier League you look at quite a lot of other clubs captains and they don't necessarily seem to be you know the typical type of captain we used to but yeah I mean yes as he, he sums it yesterday you know whereas whereas the leadership is wrong skipper like it was just everyone yesterday it was just a collective meltdown which was just a real shame wasn't it 
I think yeah. I mean, yesterday was 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 kind of the worst. I I think the 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 wider point of of moments within games where people are making mistakes or those kind of petulant errors of of taking yellows are things that you have to stamp out. Because I'd like to think that level of performance is not consistent because it hasn't been so far this season against like Newcastle, right? You, but it's it's still those moments that cost you over the long term. Picking up too many yellows when you don't need to. It's it's either the coach is setting up an environment where it's too amped up you know players are too energized and that's why players are going out there and being overly aggressive and trying to prove a point and that's why they're they're losing their head in that moment or individuals are not being calm enough not helping others and they need to understand that for the collective it's just not it's just not very helpful so yeah, it needs to be fixed. It's like it's it's another part of that basic problem that in the long term are just are just very hard flaws to home form being really poor, set pieces, individual errors, petulant yellow cards. These are just the basic things that unfortunately Chelsea we've seen too often in recent years, and especially this season, that if you don't overcome, how do you progress as a team? It's very difficult. Yeah, yeah indeed. Yesterday was a grim day, made all the more worse for when I arrived at the cinema. I saw the Kai haven't scored a, a late winner for Arsenal. The football gods really, that was a really big fuck you to, to us Chelsea fans <laughs> with, with, with the football gods. So yesterday, and Arsenal was somehow top of the Premier League, despite I don't think played that well this season. Uh, but anyway, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of that Chelsea podcast. Uh, before you go, Daniel, I'll give yourself one last plug where people can find you and all your stuff. Sign of Chelsea on YouTube. You can also get the show as a podcast on all your favorite podcast providers. Just search Son of Chelsea and then across the socials at Son of Chelsea as well. Lovely, lovely stuff. Daniel's links will be in the description below. As for us, we're on Twitter or X is that Chelsea Pod, Instagram that Chelsea Pod. We're on all your usual podcast platform providers, Apple, Spotify, Google, etc. If you're not subscribed or follow already, just search that Chelsea Podcast and we should come up. Whenever I tweet the pod out, any likes or reposts go a long way, help spread the word to and try and get more Chelsea fans on board. If you want to get in contact with the show, you can. That's that Chelsea pod at gmail.com. And if you've liked what you've heard, please feel free to leave a rating and review. Yeah, it was a it was a difficult, difficult day at St. James Park. Perhaps a sense of one step forward, two steps back with Chelsea this season. It does feel like that a lot, but there's an opportunity to hopefully put things right. Next weekend against Brian, as we you know, we really start to get kick get into this this busy this busy Christmas period. So until the next episode, everybody keep the blue flag flying high. Oh, I've had time to think about yesterday, and to be honest, it's one of them Newcastle where you just kind of pencil and go good night. Oh, no win expected. I'd love to know what he said at half time because it was just night and day between the performances. And I think it was summed up nicely by the captain, really. One step forward, two step back. Now we've got to sort the home form next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.